Have you ever seen uh, the old children's book called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day? Got a picture of it here. You seen this book? All right, so I didn't know this book existed until I had kids of my own. I love the title of this book. It's been around for, for a while. It's actually been around since the 70s, um, but I'd never heard of it. Um, and, and the title of the book tells you everything you need to know about the book. It's a book about this kid named Alexander, and he has like the worst day ever. It's just, it's just terrible. And can I tell you about how bad Alexander's day is? By the way, it's okay to laugh at some of these things because it's just like, man, we've had days like this. First of all, he starts out his day, and he's got chewing gum in his hair. I guess a terrible way to start your day. I guess he fell asleep within his mouth. So he gets up, he gathers his clothes, and he's going to go in the bathroom and get ready for the day. He trips on his skateboard, and if that isn't bad enough, he drops his clothes into the sink that's got water in it. He gets his clothes all wet. He goes down to breakfast, and his two brothers are down there, and they're eating cereal. And guess what they found in the cereal box? Both of them found a prize in the cereal box. Guess what Alexander found? cereal. That's what was in there. He didn't get nothing. That's all before school starts. He gets to school. doesn't get any better. His music teacher lets him know that he's not a very good singer. Uh, in math class, uh, he forgets the number 16. Isn't that embarrassing? He just forgot. He says, I hate the number 16. It's worthless. I don't want it in my life anymore. Uh, and, and, and they get to lunchtime. And listen, the kids in his class, all his friends' moms had packed them desserts in their lunch boxes. Alexander's mom forgot to pack a dessert. She, oh, could this day possibly getting worse. He goes out into the playground and at recess, his best friend comes up to him and says, hey, I, I don't want to be your best friend anymore. And he makes it worse by saying, I think I should be like third best friends with you. Like there's two other people who I like better than you. That's not a good day. And it just continues from there. Uh, after school, his mom takes him to the dentist. Guess what he finds out? He's got a cavity, and he's going to have to have it filled next week. And then in the parking lot, his brother pushes him down, and he falls into a mud puddle, and then he goes to his dad's office, and he accidentally breaks his dad's office phone, and his dad fusses at him. He's like, I wish you guys wouldn't come pick me up from work like this. Oh, Alexander, man, you had a terrible, horrible, very good, no bad day, no, no good day. Uh, they get home. You're thinking at least, okay, you get home. At least things can settle down. You know what mom made for dinner? Lima beans. Alexander hates lima beans. And then after dinner, there's kissing on TV. Alexander hates kissing on TV. <sighs> During bath time, the water's too hot. He gets soap in his eyes. That's terrible. <laughs> and even bedtime goes wrong. He's trying to read this book, and his little reading light, the bulb burns out. And he's just sitting there, and he's like, at least maybe the cat will get in bed with me. Every night, the cat sleeps in the bed with me. Cat won't get in bed with him. He's had it. He's had the worst day ever. So his mom comes to tell him good night, and he got to tell his mom about how bad the day was. And he says, Mom, you know what I wish? I wish we could just move to Australia. Because everybody knows that fixes everything. <laughs> That's, at the end of his day, he's just like, if we could just move somewhere else, that'd be great. Now, here's the thing. Uh, if you've had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, you read a book like this, and you're like, I feel you, Alexander. I mean, I've been there. I had those days. I had the day where it was raining, where I got I spilled coffee on my pants on the way to work, and everything goes wrong. When I was in college, uh, the movie Meet the Parents came out. Everybody seen that movie? Ben Stiller. Man, this is the worst. Like, he has more than a bad day. Like, it's like weeks, and the dude can't get it right. If you haven't seen it, it's fine, but man, he, he's, uh, he's preparing to get wet, ma married, and like, as they're getting ready for the wedding, everything goes wrong. Everything that could potentially go wrong, goes wrong. He's having a very bad day. It's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Have you been there? Man, I think Charlie Brown summed it up the best when he says, ah, all the time, man. It's when you're sitting in your car and it's 30 degrees outside and you go to start the car and nothing. Put your hands on the steering wheel, throw your head back. Ah, it's when you're, 
kid's parent calls you on the phone and they tell you that your kid did that thing and now you got to deal with it. Ah, and you, you, you hit some kind of wall, you know, and, and you just realize, and you know this feeling, I'm going to be here for a minute. Like this thing that just happened and you just, ah. I think Charlie Brown actually has a, another phrase that I like better when he says, good grief. It's, it's a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. What do we do when we hit those walls? Where do we find hope in those moments where just nothing seems to be going right? Well, let's talk about that. Uh, we've been in this teaching series for several weeks now called uh, Hope is Rising, the Easter Story. And what we've been doing is looking through uh, the last few chapters of the book of Mark in the New Testament of the Bible, and it tells the story of the final week of Jesus' life before he is crucified and eventually uh, rises from the dead. And as we've looked through this story, it's been an interesting journey. This is a cool fact. No portion of Jesus' life is as well documented as this final week. And so as you step in and you zoom into what's happening in his life, you can see a lot of different facets, and you can see the players that were involved, and you can see his friends, and you can see how he reacted. Uh, and uh, so just to catch us up, if you haven't um, been here or maybe you forgot, uh, in the first week, this was two Sundays ago, in the first week we saw Jesus enter into the city of Jerusalem. And he's there to celebrate a big festival called the Passover festival. And so they're there and it's a very, it's kind of like the uh, Jewish 4th of July. They're celebrating their independence from Egypt that had happened generations and generations before. They'd been slaves there for over 400 years. And so every year as Passover rolls around, they celebrate it. Everybody is coming into town, people are making pilgrimages into Jerusalem and Jesus uh, enters in like a king. And we told the whole story, but basically when he comes and he's riding this donkey. His, uh, his name precedes him. People are pumped that he's there and they're cheering him on in the streets. It's like a parade. And we talked that week about what do we do in the face of disappointment? The life is disappointing, you know? Where do we find hope? Hope is rising, and we find what that means through Jesus. In the, uh, the next week, which was last Sunday, we, we went out of town to a little place called Bethany. And we visited Jesus at a place where he was the guest of honor at a Passover banquet. And while we were there, we see the action of this lady named Mary. And she takes this expensive jar of perfume and she breaks it. And there's this kind of symbolic thing where she says, listen, I'm all in on you, Jesus. Like, I believe you are who you say you are. And she kind of makes this statement. And we talked about, what do you do when you're down to your last four quarters? Remember that? And, and, and with the choices that we make and the things that we choose to invest in with our lives, they matter. And we saw how hope is rising through the story of Jesus. And so those first two events, the, the kind of parade and the party, they happen at the beginning of Jesus' final week before the crucifixion. Today we're going to fast forward to the end of the week. And it's a bit of a roller coaster because things have been great. Jesus' fans are on high and we're excited. But near the end, trouble is brewing. You might remember there was an assassination plot uh, building underground for Jesus' life that was going to lead to his execution. And so this stuff is starting to come to a head as we fast forward to the final week. Uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab one. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible with you today, that's totally fine. Feel free to look it up on your phone or the, the verses will be on the screen behind me. And make sure uh, that you grab one before you leave today. There's a table as you exit with some free Bibles. We want to make sure people have Bibles uh, that are readable and good and you can take one home with you. Uh, we'd love for you to keep it as a free gift. We're in Mark chapter 14. Mark is one of the four biographies of the life of Jesus. And it's been Mark that we've been looking at for the majority of this series. This mood in Mark has shifted from a mood of excitement and celebration at the beginning of the week to, well, one of those really terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. It's about to get rough here. 
and you're just left hoping for something better. Here's the truth. 100% honest. I did not want to teach through this passage today. As I, I put it on the calendar for myself months and months ago, and I got to it, and I started studying it. I'm like, this is not a happy passage. I don't like not being happy. I like being happy. I like not being sad. I like there being a happy ending. And you get to this part of the story, you're like, man, this is kind of sad. I don't really want to talk about this part. But here's the thing I've learned is that if we're looking for hope, and we want to know that God has got this ability to raise us up out of a bad situation and provide us with hope, Hope is born out of something. If everything was fine and good all the time, we'd have no need for hope. It's just fine. It's already good. And so here's the thing I love about Jesus. He was 100% willing to go through a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. He was willing to go through all of this because he wanted us to know, like, I understand. I understand your pain. I understand your brokenness. I understand your hurt. Because I've been there. I've done that. So he goes through this day. So let's look at it together. Mark chapter 14. Uh, we're starting in verse 32. Uh, what's just happened just before this passage is that uh, the infamous Judas who betrays Jesus has just left to betray Jesus. And he's going to alert some authorities where Jesus is. And these are the people who were the undercurrent that were, had this assassination plot going on against Jesus. And he's going to tell them where Jesus is. And so Jesus has kind of gone away with the other disciples to, to do something here that we see in verse Uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 32. Let's jump into that. Let's read it. Matthew 14, starting at verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, you sit here while I pray. And then he took Peter and James and John along with him. And he began to deeply, along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And he tells them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. We stay here and keep watch. Over the past few days, Jesus had been surrounded by people. Remember, he's ridden the town. He's, the, he's like the, the key thing of this huge parade that happens. And, and hundreds and thousands of people are cheering him on. Then he goes to this party where he's the guest of honor. And he's got to shake hands and smile. And, and I understand this people thing. You ever get your fill of people? Like, I, lo- I love being with people. Like, I love hanging out with people. But you get to a point where you're like, can I just have a minute by myself? And so you've been there probably, if you've, you've ever hosted a, a big party at your house, birthday party, Super Bowl party, or it's been Christmas or it's Thanksgiving. You're with everybody and you, and you liked it and it was good. But I just need to pull away. Um, what's going on with Jesus here is I think a little bit that, but that's just a small part of it. There's so much more here than just physical fatigue. Jesus is wrestling with a huge spiritual fatigue. He is worn out. Maybe you could relate it more to in a time in your life when you've had a really big decision to make, and it's like all you can think about. You've been there? It's like, I just can't get this off my mind. You can't sleep. You can't eat. Maybe it's a financial decision. Maybe it's anxiety over a relationship, and you don't, you know, you don't know what to do in that situation. Maybe you found out about something really bad, and you got to tell somebody else about it. That's hard, and you're carrying this weight, and you just got to pass on the word, or maybe you've had to confess something really hard to someone that you really care about and you know it's going to break their heart, but you've just got to, you got to tell them. Or maybe you've wrestled with something really hard like an addiction or, or dealing with uh, a divorce or checking yourself into rehab. And it's just such a big thing. And you're like, man, I just don't, I can't stop thinking about this. So if, if you've been in that moment, I think we're a little bit closer to where Jesus is in this moment. It's that moment where you're like, I just need a minute 
That's what my mom used to say to me and my brother when we were just too much. She'd say, and she would close her eyes and she would take a deep breath and she'd hold up one finger. Like when mom closed her eyes and she held up one finger, like the next person that makes a noise might die. And so she's like, and she'd say, I just need a minute. There was always that pause because it's like she almost was like, how long do I need? I, yeah, a minute, it'd be enough. Jesus just needs a minute. There's a lot going on. Why was there so much spiritual fatigue? Well, Jesus is about 33 years old here. And for 33 years, Jesus has been preparing for this night. The thing he came to do is about to go down. Here's Jesus' mission, his objective in the world. He came to earth to fight a battle against sin and evil as the number one warrior as the lone soldier, to go in and do something that nobody else could do, to bear the weight of sin and guilt of all mankind through the history of all the world. Like, I've done some bad things in my life that I felt really guilty about, and I've borne that guilt. But man, just take that in. What would that mean to have to bear the sins of, like, everybody else in this room, the guilt of that, the shame, the sorrow of that, right? And Jesus is like, this is what I'm here to do. I'm here to do this. I just need a minute. One thing I love about Jesus' uh, deal is that for 33 years, he knew this was coming. And for the last three years, he's been traveling around, and he has been teaching, and he's been focused on the people around him. He's not focused on this difficult thing that he's got ahead. I think it says a lot about who Jesus is. In fact, over the last week, everybody's celebrating and he's the guest of honor and people are standing in the streets singing his praises. And in the back of his mind, he's like, yeah, but by the end of the week, you guys are gonna all turn on me. But in the moment, he's there because he gets us. He understands that we're not able sometimes to keep our focus where it needs to be. For 33 years, before Jesus came here, before Jesus came to earth, listen, he knew the adoration of angels. He knew what it was to be in heaven, in the presence, the full presence of God, not kind of this fragmented sense that he had right now at this moment. He knew what it meant to be adored by thousands and tens and thousands of people. But in this moment, he was all alone. And he had to bear that weight. Soldiers had already been notified where he was. False charges had already been placed. His arrest, his trial, and his execution were imminent. So Jesus just needed a minute. <laughs> so he gets his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, and he takes them off to a, a place, and he says, listen, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, so will you, will you just stay here and keep watch? I'm going to go up the path a little ways, and I'm going to pray by myself. And so we keep reading verse 35. So going a little farther, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. This is his prayer. Abba, which is a really affectionate way of saying Father. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, not what I want, but what you will, what you desire. I told you, this is a bad day. It's a really heavy moment, but I'm not going to let us just skip over that. I don't want to try to lighten it. I, I use a lot of humor. I tell personal stories. I tell jokes. I, I love that type of communication, but that's not fair to this story. I think maybe right here is the most intimate and transparent scene 
maybe in the whole Bible. I could be wrong. There's a lot of serious stuff in the Bible. But man, here in this moment, we see Jesus, who is God in the flesh. And one thing he's committed to is the human experience. And he's like, I'm going to do this thing like a human. There's a reason for that. We'll get to that in just a second. But right now, as a human, Jesus is feeling the fullness of what's ahead of him, the pain, the shame, uh, the thing that I think maybe most of us would have the most, which is maybe the fear. Like, I don't want to do this. I just don't want to face what's ahead of me. He's fully human, and he sees it coming. But being Jesus, and this is something that's really hard for our brains, our finite brains to comprehend, I'm not going to pretend to understand it. I'm just going to say I believe it, but I've wrestled with it. That he's fully human, but he's also fully God. So while he's dealing with this human struggle, you know the other struggle that's happening? That in this moment, he is more aware, possibly than ever, the chasm that exists between humans and God. And the grief that that causes him. His precious, treasured possession that he loves more than anything, the thing he created in his own image. If you're a parent and you've seen your kids suffer, you know just a smidge of what this is like. And he sees humanity, he's like, man, this stinks. This is a bad day. And the weight of all that is on him. And he's got God's holiness in man's skin, and it's literally going to kill him. The book of Luke, we've been studying in Mark, but if you flip over to the book of Luke in, ver- in chapter 22, verse 44, you-, you see this same scene, and Luke provides a few more details. This is one piece that's always jumped out to me. Uh, Luke twenty-two forty-four says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. It's kind of an anatomical thing going on. Luke, by the way, was a physician that interested him. And the amount of stress that your body has to have, the blood vessels are bursting in your forehead. Take that in. And that's what Jesus is doing. And, and he, so he goes to God in this fervent prayer, and he's like, God, if there's another way. If there's another way, please take this away. But he knows there's not another way. So you know what he says? Let's do this. Because Jesus knows that this is why he came. At Christmas time, we read passages from when these angels come and they announce the birth of Jesus. And you can read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, this is an angel saying, she will give birth to a son. Remember that little baby Jesus we celebrate in December? She will give birth to a son. And you were to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus knew, this is my purpose, to come and provide a way of salvation from people who are in sin. This is the moment why I came. I can't run from this. He says it himself in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. He says to a group of people, listen, the Son of Man, which is a nickname for Jesus, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knows, this is the reason I came. I can't run from this. And so alone, he sits, and he prays, and he waits. And the scene plays forward. He's out there for about an hour, which, man, that's a long time to pray. If you've ever tried to pray for an hour, um, it's difficult. Uh, It's hard to keep your mind focused. But I think that also shows you how, like, if something really big is going on, like, you can't get your mind off of it. He's just, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. Verse 37, let's keep reading in verse 37. Matthew 14, sorry, Mark 14, 37. It says, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, that's another name Peter went by, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for just one hour? 
Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I said I'm, I'm a parent. I, I've got two kids, and so if you're a parent, you're, you already know the story I'm about to tell. Oh my goodness. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm thinking of a specific instance, but this happens like every day in some way. So a couple nights ago, I tell my kids, hey, listen, I want you to go uh, clean your rooms, brush your teeth, get ready for bed, get in bed. Have you given the speech? Anybody given the speech? Am I the only one? Yeah, okay, you've given the speech. Clean your rooms, brush your teeth, Get ready for bed. Get in bed. This is not the first time we've done this. You have done this every time you've done this. This has never not happened. But of course, I send them to the back, and they go to their rooms, and I wait a little while, and I'm going to kind of, you know, tuck them in, kiss them goodnight, do the thing. And I walk into, what were the instructions? Clean your room, brush your teeth, get ready for bed, get in bed. My son and my daughter are sitting in the floor of my son's room, and they're playing with Lego. Room's not clean. Teeth are clearly not brushed. Clothes are clearly still on from the day. We're all day. And you stand there as a parent, and you're like, did I miss something? Like, I'm, I'm pretty positive. We, we, what are you doing? <laughs> I told you to clean your room. Your room's not clean. I told you, but, right? You've been through this speech. And here's the thing. I think that that's got to be how God feels when he looks at me like seven times a day. What are you doing? You know better than that. Why'd you go there? Why'd you say that? Why'd you do this? This is not okay. <laughs> right here in the middle of Jesus' most vulnerable moment, his friends are out cold. I asked you to, people are coming to arrest me. They're going to kill me. I told you that you can't just stay awake and make sure nobody gets me while I pray. Like, I'm just trying to pray. If you could just keep watch. But here's what I love about Jesus. Man, I love Jesus. He's just so much better person than I am. <laughs> right here in the middle of like this really hard moment, this most vulnerable moment, he understands that his guys aren't getting it perfectly. And so you know what he does? Right here in the middle of this, Jesus' worst night ever, he takes a minute just to teach them something pretty important. I imagine there's a little bit of edge on his voice. Maybe not. That's probably good. Jesus is a better person than me. He probably was not having the edge. I would have the edge on my voice. But this is what he says. <sighs> Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is the lesson that you learn when you're on a diet and your friend walks in with that big slice of chocolate cake. And you're like, oh my goodness. Oh, mm, I need some chocolate cake. And the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, you know? And this is this thing, there's this battle that goes on. It's a struggle that Jesus has been in the middle of for the past hour. The struggle between the spirit and the flesh, isn't it? He's like, I know I need to do this, but man, I don't want to do this. It's the struggle that's been playing out uh, in the last 33 years. He's been preparing himself for it. He's been seeing the struggle that people go through, and he's trying to point them to something spiritual that will help them in their physical pain. It's the struggle that he came to resolve when he came to earth as a baby. I came to step in the gap between the spiritual and the physical so that you can have a way to reconnect with God. And right here amongst his closest followers, he sees that the struggle is real. As they're wrestling with their physical need for sleep, when he's dealing with one of the most spiritually taxing moments that has ever happened in the history of mankind, the battle between the spirit and the flesh. It's, it's the, the thing that I want to do because it feels good versus the thing that I know is best because God designed me for this. This is the battle. And it's like he's saying to these guys, I know, man, I know. It's hard. This is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm going through all of this right now because I know the struggle is real. I know that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
And my whole plan is to get you guys out of that. Can you just pray for a little while? I'm going to go pray some more. <laughs> Don't fall asleep again. And he walks back up. Uh, Jesus actually goes up and, and, and uh, two more times he walks up to go pray uh, that God might give him another way. And, and I guess he's asking for peace and comfort in this moment as well. And then two more times he knows there's no other way. And two more times he comes back down the path to find the guys doing what? Sleeping again. And two more times he wakes him back up. And then the scene ends. And in verse 43, the final chapter of this drama begins. Let's read it through. Uh, really with no commentary, just a handful of verses. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer, talking about Judas, had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him, lead him away under guard. So going at once to Jesus, Judas says, Rabbi, and kisses him. And then the men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest. This is, it's, it's Peter, and he's like a hothead, and he's like, no! It cuts off the ear of the servant. And Jesus comes back and says, am I leading a rebellion? If you've been here the last two weeks, is Jesus leading a rebellion? It's not what he's here for. He didn't come to lead a rebellion against the Romans. Am I leading rebellion that you came after me with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I've been with you, teaching in the temple courts. You didn't arrest me then. I think that's a fair point. Like, why do you think you need clubs and swords now? But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And everyone deserted him and fled. If this was a TV miniseries, uh, the screen would go to black and there'd be big, bold letters that would come up on the screen that would say, to be continued. Because the story kind of pauses right there. We're going to pick up the rest of it next week. But you know, in life, I think we want to fast forward to the happy ending. We don't like to sit in the funk. We, we want to fast forward past the part where you're sitting on the road waiting for AAA to show up, and you want to be all the way back at your house, and your car is at the shop, and it's getting fixed. Like, I want the end of the story. I want to know this is going to turn out all right. But you know, life, life doesn't fast forward through the hard parts. Does it? No. And sometimes the fast parts seem to go in slow, the hard parts seem to go in slow motion. You know what I love? Is that Jesus doesn't fast forward through the hard parts. He doesn't then and he doesn't with us. He sits right there in, in it and he's committed to it. And he's like, this is what has to happen. What's the takeaway from this moment for us? Well, in the garden, we see Jesus in his most hopeless moment. Uh, it's distressing, but at the same time, because I know the end of the story, it encourages me. Because it means that Jesus knows how I feel when I've hit the bottom, when I've had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Jesus knows the struggle is real. Jesus can relate. He lived a human life. He experienced human things. And what we see in this story is that even then when things get really hard, Jesus is faithful. He didn't give up. God, if there's another way, oh, there's not another way? Okay, let's do this. Even when anyone else would have given up, Jesus is faithful. He's been there. He's done that. Jesus is faithful. Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 15 through 16, says this about Jesus. It says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness. 
But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. I love, that's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. That when we're hurting, when we're broken, when we're on the down and outs, we can go to God's throne of grace full of confidence. Not he's going to be like, step away from me. You know, you're going to get me filthy with your mess. No, he's like, no, come on. Come on. I've been through it. I know what it's like down there. And I ain't scared of it. Come to me. Approach my throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. So even in his humanness, Jesus didn't cave in to hopelessness. It's a state we find ourselves in as humans all the time. In fact, he prayed, God, not my will, but your will. He has God's strength in his life, and so he was able to make the right decision, even when the wrong circumstances were hitting him in the face. And I think this means that we can too. And I'll just give away the end of the story. Spoiler. Jesus is going to go through with a really rough night. He's going to be unfairly tried and he's going to be tortured and killed. But because the power of God is his, because he is God in the flesh, he is going to defeat death. The one thing we don't have an answer for. He's going to defeat sin. The one thing that separates us from the presence of God. And he's going to give us a way back. Hope is rising. Maybe you've had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Maybe it's been like a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad week, month. You're like, man, you know what? It's been bad since the 90s, uh, <laughs> to be honest with you. You know, like it's, maybe you've had that season of life. And maybe you're dealing with a, a bad marriage or a bad addiction. A bad struggle between someone you love. But man, I don't even know how to deal with this person right now. Maybe you've got a bad fear. Maybe you had a bad childhood or a bad experience. Jesus came down to earth to live alongside us. He lost friends. Remember last week we talked about this guy Lazarus. He died. Fortunately, Jesus rose him from the dead. That was a nice trick. But guess what Lazarus did again later? He died again. And Jesus lost other friends. People were mean to him and people didn't understand him. He went through physical pain. He went through puberty. That's not fun. He went through all the stuff that we go through. And why did he do it? We read about it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 10. I love that Paul gives us this. It says, Jesus, uh, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather, he made himself nothing. And taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient. When you're God, you have no reason to be obedient to anybody or anything. But he said, man, I want to be able to relate to my creation, so I'm going to be obedient to the thing that they've got to be obedient to. He became obedient even to death on a cross. And therefore... God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name and that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we see Jesus in this hopeless garden, it's so awesome to see that even in that garden, there were seeds 
of hope. Hope was just around the corner. And it would bloom in a few days, actually. And I believe that it's the same for us. Hope is just around the corner. What have you been dealing with? Hope is just around the corner. In fact, we live post that story. We don't even have to wait three days like Jesus did in that moment. Hope is available now through Jesus because Jesus came to make a way for anyone who loves and believes in him. So maybe right now you're struggling with something. You've had a no good, horrible, terrible, very bad, ridiculous, upsetting day, week, month, decade. What is it? What's, what's just over the horizon that's making you scared? Through Jesus, hope is just around the corner. It's as close as today saying, I want that. I want, sign me up for that. I want that. I don't know all the other answers. I don't understand everything there is to know about the Bible, but man, there seems to be some fairly good evidence. By the way, if you want some evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, that's what we're talking about next week. So come hear about it. But man, I want that. Hope is just around the corner. Why? Because Jesus is faithful. And while he sat in the garden and he was completely alone, in a few minutes his friends were going to leave and even his best friends were going to turn their backs on him, he was completely alone. He went through that. Guess what? Jesus was faithful, and because of that, you will never be alone. You always have him to lean to, to look to, to reach out to, to pray to, to gain strength from. And he gives us his Holy Spirit in our lives for the moments where we just can't do it on our own. He says, I got you. Hope is just around the corner. You are not alone. Did you catch that? When Jesus was going through all of that, and he was more alone than anyone had ever been before. But he did that so that you didn't have to be alone. He went through so many things so that we won't have to go through them because Jesus is faithful and you're not alone. Hope is just around the corner. So, kind of wrapping up. If you have claimed Jesus in your life, you've said, I want him. I want to be a Christian. It's more than just a Facebook religious status. It's more like a lifestyle and I'm trying my best. If you have claimed him and you're having one of those horrible, terrible days or horrible, terrible seasons of your life and you're having a hard time finding faith, hope is just around the corner. It's there for you. And check this out. If you haven't claimed Jesus and you haven't decided, like, you know, I want to do this. Jesus says, when you decide you want to follow me, get baptized into my name to make a proclamation of who I am, I'll give you the gift of my Holy Spirit. I'll forgive you of your sins. If you haven't done all that, guess what? You can. It's an open invitation. It's free for everybody. There's not even taxes on this. It's absolutely free. Hope is just around the corner. It's a decision away. And, and, and this is the coolest thing. The early Christians had a word for this really cool hope. Their word for it was gospel. And we get gospel, we kind of get it translated up into English, and we just say gospel. But you know what the definition of gospel is? Good news. That's what the message of Jesus is. Good news. You had a bad day? I got good news. Doesn't that change everything? If Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, in that book, uh, he just keeps saying this phrase all through that book. He says, man, I just, I just wish I lived in Australia. <laughs> he just keeps saying this uh, because he thought things would be better over there for some reason. It's a long way. Maybe it'd be better. But at the end of the book, uh, he tells his mom, I wish I could go to Australia. And his, you know his mom tells him? She says, you know what, Alexander? Even people in Australia have bad days. In fact, I, uh, I was looking this thing up on Wikipedia. They... Um, they published this book in Australia. And in the book in Australia, the, Alexander wants to go somewhere else. 
Your grass is always greener somewhere else. If I could just reach out and find something better, if I could just find it. Jesus says, no, I'm it. Come to me. If you're heavy, burdened, come to me. I will give you rest. Exact quote from Jesus. Alexander's mom says, man, you can't run from bad moments. They're going to happen. You know what? We live in an imperfect world. And it's full of imperfect people. And there will be bad times. But Jesus himself, who said the same thing, he said, by the way, you should know, life is not going to be easy. He says, turn to me. Through it all, Jesus gives us hope. Because Jesus could overcome the world. Jesus defeated death. And he guides us to the power of God in our lives. Listen to this as we close out. Jesus is faithful. You are not alone. Hope is rising. And that's good news. I'd love to pray for us right now. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the hope of Jesus, the chance we have to know about it and uh, live in it. Uh, man, it's so, um, it's so cool to see. And it's, just, it's crazy, but you see these, these disciples and they, and they run away and they hide when Jesus gets arrested. And I would think, well, that's the end of their story. They're not coming back. But then you raise from the dead. And at the risk of their very life, they come back because they've seen you risen. And because they saw you alive, they were willing to go all in. And from that, a movement was born and lives have been changed. Lord, thank you so much for giving us hope. Thank you, thank you for giving us a way out of that lonely feeling of not knowing what to do on the worst days. And Lord, thank you for the story of Easter and the hope that it brings to the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.